This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? dramatic or sort of understated or what? This is a land that prays for a hero. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on Triple R 102.7 FM. Yes, hello, welcome to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse, Three Triple R's weekly group therapy hug and fetal position curl up. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Bush is my name. Joined uh, as most times in the studio this evening by Adam Grubb. How are you, Adam? Quite well. Just doing a little last minute research. Yes, as a, as a, everyone in the room, it's a it's a pretty hectic show tonight. There's a lot to unpack. And uh, Katie Dundas is in the chair. Hello, Katie. Hello. How I'm doing I? some last-minute research too. Yes, indeed. Can you hear the sound effects? <laughs> uh, this could be brilliant or completely unravel. Uh, let's see how that goes. Um, as always, the magical panel technician Jed McCarthy is on panels and buttons. Hello, Jed. Hello, evening all. You're doing okay. You can get us I home am. afterwards, can't you? <laughs> There's plenty of research been going on, listeners, I have to say, before the show. Indeed, there has been. Uh, yeah, so following last week's highly successful foray into illicit substances, um, and the uh, and since then we've had a huge lack of indignant emails and there's no, been no lawsuits, no mafia sniper attempts or anything like that, we thought we'd follow up by taking a deep plunge into booze. I've had, I've had several friends say they're going to give up MDMA, though. Have you? Yeah. And, and just quickly touch on why that is again. Uh, well, Sarah researched that one and said that uh, the sassafras oil, which is needed in its production, comes from rare Cambodian, well, a now extinct Cambodian tree, but mm. also endangered, uh, closely related species throughout Southeast Asia. Indeed, yeah. It's yeah. so <laughs> tragic. It's one of those tragic sort of things, isn't it, whereby um, that sort of hippie back-to-the-earth culture more so than anyone it would seem has taken on over the last 40 or 50 years these illicit substances that we've all heard plenty about but never taken part in ourselves um and yet they're quite damaging when you get below the surface yeah it's a shame huh but hopefully alcohol comes out that's our topic tonight yeah you know, a little bit better sustainability wise the last we'll legal out. drug indeedy and in, to distill the topic we've brought in um <laughs> some fantastic so there's going to be a lot of puns tonight isn't there um it's, it's to help us distill the booze topic i've brought back to the airways my good friend he's a professional brewer once upon a time he's uh, an out and home brewer he's a man of many many traits and abilities he's one of my fellow mountain men from up in the hills there hello mark moncrief how you be? Thanks for having me back again. That's okay. Last time we had you in was on the eve of what we referred to as the downfall of the United States. Yeah. Um, and the, that was the Trump election eve. Yes. And indeed. the next night you and I uh, were probably used alcohol to its best effect, didn't we, to numb the emotional trauma yes. of that result. And I've just returned from a trip back to the US. It was um, an eye-opener for sure, just seeing how... Uh, People are kind of still in this kind of stunted silence about a lot of these issues. They're just kind of, uh, well, I, I, I live in California, you know, or grew up yeah. in California. And yeah, lefty liberal. Lefty liberal, you know, yeah. Hollywood types and, mm. you know. 
it's quite amazing to go back and you either, you, whenever you mention the subject, people's eyes just kind of like wobble and then close. And then you talk about something else. They just go to the happy place. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, why don't you kick it off, Adam? What are we going to get into this evening? Well, we're going to cover alcohol from, well, how you can do it yourself, which will help us uh, think about all the things that go into making it. And from there, we can talk about uh, how sustainable or otherwise it is in terms of a form of inebriation. And then we're going to talk about alcohol in hard times, how it's been used as currency and back in periods before such an excess of calories in our diets, it was an important way of preserving food mm-hmm. and nutrients and um, keeping water healthy. Mm. But let's start with making it a little bit about the history of alcohol. My last bit of research then I was doing was about distillation. Apparently that only started, this is where you take you know, a rough wine or something and turn it into a spirit, a strong, a strong alcohol. It's only been around for a few hundred years. Yeah, right. That's, yeah. A, that's a modern-ish invention. But people have been getting off their tits for <laughs> millennia <laughs> because, it, because alcohol, it, fer- it ferments out of fruits quite readily. Mm-hmm. Everything that we need to make alcohol is there on the grape itself. And so you just pile that stuff up in a tree hollow and you're going to get something not very tasty but drinkable. I, I found this beautiful quote from Sandor Katz's Wild Fermentation, and he says, the context for making and consuming fermented alcohol drinks in traditional cultures was, as a general rule, communal and ritualistic. In some cultures, uh, they created noisy rituals with the idea that excited, sometimes even angry, strong energy helped the yeast to work more effectively. Other cultures with the notion that the ferment, the ferment needed peace and quiet could be... St- and could be startled or scared by sound and movement, approach fermentation processes with quiet reverence. Either way, the context was ritualistic and sacred. Making your own wines, beers, meads and ciders is a powerful way of reclaiming the ritual sacredness of alcohol fermentation. Mm. That's very deep. Puts a nice spin on, <laughs> <laughs> on, on a bit of DIY booze making. Well, Mark Moncrief, you are a, you, you've, you're a professional in, in a past life and yeah, well, uh, still an avid uh, DIYer. Absolutely. Yeah. Let, how, how, can, how can one get pissed on the cheap? <laughs> so, but sorry, before he gets earnest about this, uh, yeah. a couple of years ago at his house before, I mean, I still haven't really gone into the home brewing very much, but he had made a brew and he poured me a glass and he... he he gave it the thing, oh, it's, it's not very good. It's not a very good brew. And as I drank it, I thought, I hope one day that I get to be this shit at it because it's excellent. <laughs> so oh, you're very let's, kind. Pre- let's proceed on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't brew professionally at the, at the moment anymore, but it was mm. kind of my first job when I was a college student. I started brewing, I've, I've, as I said earlier, I grew up in California where the drinking age is 21. And so you do all kinds of things as a teenager that they really don't want you to do. And one of the things that I did that they didn't want me to do was to start making beer at home, um, largely because I was, uh, it was too hard to get it in the shops. You had to recruit some poor soul um, you know, sleeping on the corner or something who, who was of age, who would go and buy it for you, or you had to recruit a family member or something who was going to do something wrong. And then they were going to have blackmail on you and all this kind of stuff. And so there's all kinds of politics that went into actually getting wasted <laughs> yeah, yeah. when you're a teenager in the U S. And so, um, I kind of, you know, 
one of the few things that I was entrepreneurial about, I decided that I would start making it myself and uh, did that at about the age of, I don't know, 18 or 19. And by the time I was um, 20, I was good enough that I ended up getting a job at a, at a brew pub in Los Angeles. And um, so I was in this weird situation where I was making beer at this place, but I was legally speaking too young to ever drink it. Yeah, and so right. I was serving all these people who were, you know, I was, I was at, um, you know, UCLA at the time and all these college kids who were, you know, a year older than I was or a couple of years older than I was taking, you know, a pretty, being a pretty central role in there, uh, getting pissed of a weekend, but not allowed to do so myself. So that's kind of, that was a weird situation. Mm-hmm. But that meant that I, you know, I got into this beer making thing and it's a, it's a fascinating sort of world. You know, you, I have some friends who, for example, are winemakers. And the kind of state of mind that one is in when one's doing the things that you have to do to make beer compared to what you have to do to make wine are, are often quite different. You know, and they speak to sort of roles of parts of our personalities. In order to make beer, the most important thing in making beer is to make sure that everything is highly sterile, mm. which surprised me when I first started doing it. Because you think of a beer as, you know, compared to the sort of highfalutinness of wine as kind of, you know, relatively speaking, a bit of a gutter drink. And yet, when you make wine, you can just kind of stomp all over it. You know, yeah. spiders can fall in, you know, a rat could piss in it. And all kinds of things could happen to the wine at the early stages. And it's not going to make much difference to the finished product. Whereas if a rat fell into a vat of beer that was about to ferment, that's the whole thing dead. You know, you got to dump the whole thing and waste it and somebody loses a lot of money and there's a bunch of water that goes down the tank and, and who knows what else. This, so- this reminds me actually, we've got a, a soundbite, don't we, Jed, of how you can do, like you say, there are, there are ways of doing it properly and then there are ways of doing it just to get drunk you can even do it in jail with a plastic bag and uh, some jelly crystals or some fruit juice. And here's a clip for some LA once penitentiary inmates recounting how they used to do it. So what do you, uh, how do you do it? How do you start from the beginning? Tell me how you do it. You start with a kicker, man. Yeah, you get exactly. you some fruit, man. You peel that shit, man. You let it mold. You dig what I'm saying? You let it get good and stanky. You see what I'm saying? You can put it in an old sweat sock or whatever, whatnot. Then you get your juice, man. The best thing to use is apple, I mean, orange juice, you dig? You get your orange juice, man. You pour your orange juice off in there, man. Then you set that nasty, rotten-ass fruit up in there that molded and everything. Man, let it sit for a couple days, you see what I'm saying? To it blow up, it's gonna blow up, man. It's gonna blow up so big that motherfucker will bust if you don't burp it, man. Once you burp it by three or four times, you dig what I'm saying? And it don't blow up no more, man. That shit is ready to go, man. You don't be shit like a motherfucker the next day. So why you drinking it? You gonna be fucked up. It could be. It could be depending on how you make it. You see that water to it to make it less nasty or how does it taste? You can put some cut. That's cutting it. Yeah, huh? Cutting it. You you know, it depends on how you, you know. It depends on where you at. If you're in the county, yeah, you want to be in the county. You got more. You you get get your pressure cookers. You dig what I'm saying? 
take that shit and you let that shit steam, you boil that shit, That's and it water. steam, man, and it fill the bag up, man. You dig what I'm saying? Oh, and you dump that bag, man, and all that sweat on that bag, man, that ain't sweat, man. That's that white lightning. You dig what I'm saying? And you fuck with that, man. You really be on your back, man. That shit killing motherfuckers in there, but that shit'll kill you, man. You dig what I'm saying? Fuck some here and fuck with that white lightning, man. You gonna be on your back, man. Can someone interpret that method for me? <laughs> so the first half was making wine, the second half was making moonshine. Oh. There was a lot, they, a lot came up there, didn't it? The ingredients, <laughs> the, it. yeah, the starter culture, and then the dangers of turning it into moonshine. What, if, what do you reckon, Mark? How uh, to compare to your own methodology? Yeah, well, there are, that's, there are some things that are very similar and some things that are very, very different. You know, there's, uh, you know, the, the lots of that, a lot of that stuff. What I love about that clip is that it's all about using what's in front of you, right? People will do that. People will just, you know, you can make you can make spirit out of almost anything. Anything that's got sugar or starch or anything like that, you can make something that's gonna it's going to have an effect right mm-hmm. and you and it doesn't have to taste good when you're in those kind of situations you know what i mean and i bet the stuff that the, the stuff that our ancestors drank didn't taste good mm-hmm. you know what i mean we 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 have very particular palates these days about you know the things that we expect when we drink a beer when, when we drink a wine when we drink a spirit we expect a very particular thing and i, I imagine if we went back you know to say 300 400 years forget about you know thousands and thousands of years they would be completely unrecognizable, you know. Mm. I was getting some historical content from Dan. My husband's a brewer. I hear about beer a lot. Um, a lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. But it was very enjoyable, Dan, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> so he was telling me about in Mesopotamia. It was the women who used to make the beer. So it was, historically, it was the women's job to make the beer. And these women used to stir the fermenting liquid with a special spoon Mm. and these spoons became (laughs) known as like the magical beer spoons and each household had this like special spoon that gave the beer this taste of Ah. the home and its place and you know (laughs) and it would have been the carrier of the spoon would have been the carrier of the yeast it was the carrier of the yeast exactly that was what kick-started the fermentation process Mm. and that couldn't have been clean no, no, of course not, no. But it would be, it was making more like a sour beer or something. Yeah, well, this is one of the things that I think is really fascinating right now in this kind of moment that we're at in beer geekery, where all of these sour beers are really, really popular at the moment. To me, they taste like horrible, horrible, horrible. But Describe a lot of people really sa- love them. So what's a sour beer? I had a sour beer not that long ago that literally smelled and literally tasted like I imagine licking a, the back of a urinal tastes. It was really quite something else. But... With most of the sours that I taste, I have to say they smell like beers that you make at home that go bad. Yeah. That's what yeah. they taste like. They taste like if you, when you make a beer at home and you let it sit for too long or, I don't know, something you didn't, you didn't seal it off quite right and something mm. bad got in, it got oxidized, and, you know, too much air got in, whatever, and it goes bad. Mm. That's what a sour beer tastes like. Yeah. <laughs> for, for someone that's never done it, what are the what are the ingredients for making a beer, and yeah. what what equipment do you need? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the the primary thing you need when you're making a beer is a pot, right? And most people, when they start off, they make beer from uh, kind of a syrup, which is like a molasses type thing, mm-hmm. which is what they call malt extract, and that's just just like that. It's just basically the boiled down uh, extract from barley. Mm-hmm. Uh, so barley is the prim- well, water is the primary in- ingredient in beer, and, and then the barley is the is the second substance that goes in, yeah. 
And that's where the alcohol comes from. So barley is, obviously, it's a grain. And there's a process that you can go through where you um, you activify, sorry, you, you activate um, enzymes that are already present on the grain. And those enzymes start to chew up the the starch, which is in the barley, and that and they convert it into sugar. And then making that sugar available is what provides the alcohol because uh, when you've got all that sugar out, then you can have a yeast go in there and it munches up all the sugars and its byproducts are alcohol and carbon dioxide and some other esters and things like that. Mm. So what you do is you you get this syrup, which is the derivation of uh, the, the extraction of sugars from malt. Someone's already done the hard stuff. Yeah, somebody's already done the hard stuff. You can That's do exactly it yourself, right. but it's pretty yeah, yeah, labor intensive. Yeah, you intensive. can do it. I do it myself. I, I find yep. it, it's fun, that part. It's, okay. it's like making a big pot of tea, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, but most people start off just with a can of stuff, like of Coopers or something that they buy at the shops, or they go to you know a proper shop and a store that sells this stuff, and they get some malt extract. And then you boil it for a while. You, you 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 water it down and you boil it for a while, and once you're boiling it, lots of things happen in the pot. But the main thing that happens is you start throwing hops in, mm-hmm. and hops are the thing. Hops are a flower. It's a flower of a vine, um, and that flower has some oils in it that provide bitterness. And depending on how long you put it into that pot, it'll give you some beautiful aromas and that kind of stuff. So when you have a, a beer that tastes, or, or sorry, that smells like pineapple or or really strongly floral uh, smells those smells come from the hops so while you're boiling it away you put some hops in and then you have to cool it down really quickly you throw some yeast in there Mm -hmm. you put it in a fermenter for a little while and generally not just any yeast right not bread yeast but especially you could use bread yeast you could do i mean it's the same species of yeast right Right, so it's the same the 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 species the species of yeast is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Mm-hmm. It's the same species that you find in if you get like a dry yeast thing at the shops that you make bread with or whatever. But within that species, there are lots and lots of different variants, and those variants have lots of different characteristics. Like they vary wildly, and so um, yeah, you do tend to buy a particular brewer's yeast. Yeah. yeah, but like you could like if you were in a pinch, or you were in like a you know survival situation, and you had to make beer, or you were you know <laughs> post apocalyptic kind of kind of thing, then um, you could very easily share the yeast between your your bread making and your beer making, and you'd be happy. Yeah. yeah. And you could probably even capture some wild stuff out of the out of the air, like uh, the LA penitentiary inmates were doing when they were uh, leaving some, f- putting some fruit in an old sock. Do not recommend that method. No, yeah, just, get a new no, sock. Get, 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 get a new sock. <laughs> Yeah, but no, just, I've never, I've never done that at home, but yeah. uh, you know, but I might try it next time. You know? let's, <laughs> let's see what might might produce some interesting flavors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to throw in there, Mark. Your uh, your lovely lady friend Nina is an excellent um, sourdough baker. She certainly is. Do you ever like? How would you extract the sourdough yeast to make a, a beer brew? Well, see, the problem with that is that I mean, the 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 starter culture of a sourdough is not just the yeast, right? There's it's open to the air. It's got mm. all kinds of bacteria in it, mm. and that is exactly the kind of thing that, generally speaking, you want to avoid going into well, your beer. The same thing that makes the sourdough sourdough sour, those lactobacteria, that's right. is the same thing that 
you makes your beer sour. That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. So you would end up, maybe, I mean, you might end up with a very hipsterish beer. You might end up with a yeah. beer that you know would be very well in this like moment in time, <laughs> but it wouldn't be a beer that anybody would you know ten years ago would recognize mm. as a beer. It would be something very strange. Could we cultivate a yeast from Bushy's beard and then oh, brew a beer? Good idea. By the smell of things, I think. Yeah, you I could, bet that yeah. you probably yeah. get some bacteria out of that as well. And you well. could drink it from a sardine can. Yeah, maybe just dip it next time you come by. You can just sort of waffle it Look, around Mark, in the you've, kettle. You've known me long enough to know that there's beer in that beard all the time. <laughs> it's a spillage thing. Hey, uh, we should go to our first track, but before we do, just at this top of the show, um, Adam mentioned something about fermented fruits, and so I quickly typed in to uh, Google here, do animals get drunk naturally? And I've got yeah. an answer. Yeah, yeah. In South Africa, local legend has it that the elephants like to get drunk. They seek out the marula tree, overindulge on its sweet fruits, and enjoy the intoxicating effects of this slightly fermented juice. Tales of the tipsy pachyderms go back at least two centuries. You are listening to a Triple R podcast. Podcast, etc. Yes, and Triple R is where you are, and Greening the Apocalypse is the show. And uh, following the wake of last week's highly successful and uh, lawsuit free edition of uh, the impact of your favourite illicit substance, we are now touching on alcohol. Guest in the studio this evening is my good friend and former professional, now turned um, excellent home brewing brewer, Mark Moncrief. And uh, <laughs> where I are just we? Like to do that. Where are we up to? In the, we're, we're having a chat before that first track about the, uh, the the history of alcohol, I guess, and the DIY capabilities of making your own brews and so forth. And we're going to touch a little bit on distilling before we get into some can, other topics. I can talk to that. Yep. So have, sure you, done, have you done it? No, 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 no. no. Distilling is beyond my skill set. Well, it's technically. I mean, not technically. It's it's illegal. To do it at home. <clears throat> yeah. So it isn't really one for DIY situations, but it, it, strangely you can buy all the things to do it. So distillation is where you warm up. It's a bit up. like those bong shops that were popular in the 90s, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it's brown your mall. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're, yeah, they're still around. Um, but uh, distillation is where you heat up, uh, heat up your wine, which is normally like you make a really crappy wine. Um, it might be out of sugar or something. And because alcohol, ethanol, comes off at a lower temperature than water, so it, it evaporates uh, at something like 78 degrees or something rather than 100, uh, then the first fraction of stuff, well, not the first actually, but before the water comes off, you get your methanol. And if you can recondense that, you end up with a strong spirit. Ethanol, because methanol makes you... Is Did I say methanol? Yeah, yeah. Do not drink, <laughs> Do not drink methanol. <laughs> so y- if the, there are dangers associated with this because you can actually, if you're fermenting fruit as your base, anything with pectin in it, methanol is produced as a byproduct. And as Mark said, you do not want to drink that. In fact, every time you drink wine, you do drink a little bit of it. And that's part of what gives you a hangover. So you're more likely to get a bad hangover with wine than you are of, um, from beer. Does methanol, is methanol a fraction? Does that evaporate? It actually well? comes off right at the beginning. So if you're... So when like a whole village in Russia um, comes together and does a massive uh, distillation... If they if they drink the stuff that comes out too early, then you can have blindness and kidney failure. Or you can even probably do that at home if you're doing it on the large enough scale. Yeah. Don't do this at home. Yeah, don't do it at home. <laughs> so there are 
if you do it properly, what you fraction off and you get rid of, they call the heads, the stuff that comes out first, and the tails that comes out at the end, which are uh, heavier alcohols, fusel oils, um, they're things that aren't good for you, industrial solvents and, and toxins. And so the stuff that you're left with in the middle is actually a cleaner drink and you'll have less of a hangover, but there are dangers associated with it. That's why it's regulated and illegal. And you can buy a lot of this stuff because it's legal to distill essential oils using the same equipment. Um, but above a certain size, you have to register the fact that you even own it. Oh. And you're not supposed so to put alcohol through it at all. You said you make a crappy wine, and then... Yeah. How do you make, it, how do you make wine? Uh, well, by wine, um, really I'm using that as a general term, f- term for anything that involves sugar and yeast. And you, you can make something to distill with something as, as simple as like a jar of tomato paste... Uh, white sugar and the juice of a lemon. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> so, it, so it's not like a... Wh- so what what so you're making there isn't designed to be drunk. What do you do with the tomato paste? Do you cook it with the sugar? Uh, you don't have to cook anything, but you just uh, dissolve the sugar in water and the tomato paste, and that that is uh, the yeast nutrients that it The needs. primary thing is having yeast in the presence of sugar. And nutrients, yeah. yeah. So the nutrients is the tomatoes. That's right, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you make grape wine? Just grape sugar. A lot of well, this is, well, the grape, grape wine. Grape wine is is you know, it's you, arguably the easiest thing. I mean, there's a great grapes old, has all three. So it's got yeah. the yeast, the, so the yeast is on the skin, and the sugar all yeah. together in oh, the single package. Yeah. So that's all you need. Put that yeah. in, a, in a barrel with an airlock and then uh, squish squish it up a bit first, yeah. and you got yourself some wine. So it's like cider. We used to make cider just by getting apples off the tree, putting them through a garden shredder, and then yeah. putting the juice into a just that we didn't even airlock it. It was just a bottle. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, a we did cider, airlock it first. A rough cider. Yeah. yeah. That was so nice. Yeah. <laughs> so the the people who are staunch advocates of wine will tell you about its long history, like it's you know thousands of years older than most other alcohols. But the detractors of wine will point out to you that squashed grapes was probably going to happen sooner or later, <laughs> but beer was a very deliberate act. <laughs> beer, took, beer took some effort. Beer took some thought, yeah. <laughs> I mean, wine, wine is... Um, I mean, it's, it's very easy to make wine. Mm. That doesn't mean it's easy to make a good wine. No. Right? That's a wine that you would want to drink. Easy to make a good yeah. beer than a good wine. I say yeah, that with yeah. stone masonry. I mean, it's, it's easy to stack rocks with mortar in them, but <laughs> to make it look good. Yeah, that's different. We're talking a little bit about making booze and, and so forth. So let's touch on to, I mean, we're often referred to as an environmental show, even though I don't necessarily think that's entirely true. But let's go down the ecological imprint of booze. First, you're defensive about us being called a gardening show. I know. What are we, bitchy? <laughs> well, yeah. You know what we are? We are everything and we are nothing. We are the ultimate existential Are we dilemma. like a big I show like about stonemasonry? I reckon no, you no. took my advice about mushrooms too seriously, mate. Yeah. We're everything and nothing. We are everything and the nothing. What was your advice about mushrooms? Well, we just said it was the most sustainable of all the drugs that we talked about last oh, week. Oh, because you can just go wandering about... Find some. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, cool. So let's talk about the carbon footprint of uh, booze. Ag, you've got a little bit of detail on this. Uh, I, I did find, I went to uh, the Consuming Australia report, which the ACF put out a few years ago, uh, which has some really good, serious systems, um, holistic science underneath it, looking at uh, the carbon impact of not just the stuff in the home but the embodied carbon in everything that we consume mm-hmm. and it looked like uh they they combined alcohol 
and cigarettes into the one field. And it was about 3% of the average Australian's carbon footprint. So not massive, I guess. Mm. But, yeah, it's still worth considering because it's not like something that you have to do. And there are definitely extreme ways of making it high impact or low impact, I reckon. Mm. Mm. We were chatting before the show as well. I mean, with beer as an example, which uh, is reliant on a grain input. I mean, that grains uh, as an annual crop... Uh, one of the more energy-intensive crops to grow. I've been and soil-destroying. And soil-destroying. Yep. Yep. Um, whereas, I mean, I must say hops, I've, I've grown hops quite successfully the past few years and sort of given them away to brewers and, and friends and stuff, and they have thrived on neglect, I must say. Yeah. And you just plant the rhizome and walk away, but um, yeah. that they're not the main input. Um, I've also got a little bit of note-taking uh, here that I, I spoke with uh, Kate's partner, Dan, uh, the other day, we were talking about sort of the economy of scale in home brewing versus small batch brewers. Uh, and Kate, um, do, do you want to mention where Dan works? Is that okay, too much I, of a plug? I mean, well, I, I mean, it's interesting. The reason why when, he's an expert. Well, he's, yeah. a, he's a brewer, and when we were thinking about, he wanted to be a brewer professionally. Mm. He was a home brewer for many, many years, and we talked about how to do it in the most sustainable or less uh, input way as possible and that's one of the reasons why he has a brew pub rather than going down the packaging Mm -hmm. and distribution route because he brews everything on site and it really doesn't leave the premise and it doesn't Mm. take any packaging Mm. and he tries to source his materials uh, as locally as possible Mm. Um, but it's still fairly energy intensive and uses a lot of water but there's I mean we've been and worked in other breweries before where they're able to um, mitigate a lot of that by producing their own energy and cleaning the water and trying to you know mm. do as much as as possible on site but if you start to think about distribution which I'm, is that what he spoke to you about bushy well no it was mostly about the energy input in the manufacture like you know getting the water up to temperature and things like that so yeah but there is um i know that dino dino from the good brew company is a former guest on the show and and, and his dad had uh, buckley's brewery i think for a while and they they tried to set themselves up with a completely renewable uh energy system on the roof but um I was chatting to Dan a little bit. He said, you know, you're going to use electricity or gas energy to heat up the inputs for beer. He did say to me, you could use fire. Now, you can, when you burn wood, you can achieve a carbon neutrality because the amount of carbon given off by burning wood is equal to the sequestered timber. That you can achieve a carbon neutrality by burning timbers as a heat source. But you've also got a very, you've got control issues with making beer with that, that heating process. You've got about a 10 degree window. So. There's heaps of support online and, and in books and all those. You know, you can improvise in all sorts of ways. But he basically said, if you're a small batch brew house, such as uh, lots of people are around Melbourne, yes, such as Tallboy and Moose, such as Tallboy and Moose, Preston, everyone, come and have Rebels a very Street. nice beer <laughs> in Columbus. <laughs> a, sm- a small batch brew house can run larger quantities of liquid in production, and which um, upfront takes some effort to heat, but retains its heat more efficiently due to its own mass. And because you're constantly running sort of 24 hours a day. Whereas an idle brewery is an inefficient brewery both energetically and economically, if you can keep it rolling on, then you've sort of already got this sort of heat point that you've reached up to en masse. Mm. Whereas your... Yeah, it's the on and off bit that's the high intensity. That's right. And a home brewer making sort of a 40-litre fermentation vat, um, you know, which is 25 to 30% inefficient and creates 25 litres in the end, this is a bit less efficient. Um, yeah, so keep it hot and keep it hot and keep, keep it going. And keep it insulated. Yeah. But, but when do you, if you're making beer, you don't 
Real uh, for for make for malting for malt. sure you need to warm it. Mm. Yeah. You, you don't need to boil it. It's pretty low yeah, temperature. Yeah, you do. So yeah. you do. Oh, that's early the, on. The, 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 pro, the, okay. the secondary step of it is a boil right. that last, lasts somewhere between an hour and ninety minutes. To yeah, hour, okay, usually. Okay. And that is a pretty yeah. That's a pretty intensive sort of energy intensive sort yeah. of process. So beer is going to be more energy intensive than wine because you don't need to do that. Mm, potentially, maybe, maybe yeah. energy intensive. It's interesting though. Uh, like also in terms of bottling, I reckon yeah. that if the act of sterilizing the, the bottles is this is the thing that I think is most is yeah. is kind of un not, you know not thought about very much. Mm. But in beer making, the process of cleaning and sterilizing all of mm. those tanks that you need to use for fermentation uses a lot of water, yeah, yeah. you know, and that water is, is, uh, is a, well, it's a water that turns into a solution of usually caustic. Mm. So you end up with a, with a highly alkaline yeah. solution that then gets flushed down the drain. Yeah. And there's, you know, there, there are lots of breweries around the world who try to fix this problem, but it, but to my mind, I, I never worked in one, I have to say. Mm. And to my mind, that is the most in, the most aggressive in-house ecological output, you know, yeah. potential damaging output that you're putting out there. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting to think about the inputs, right? Because, you know, barley is, um, barley has lots of uses, you know, barley is a good cover crop. Uh, barley is, um, you know, it, 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 it it's a good uh, feed crop. You know, it has a lot, it has purposes that are set aside from the making of beer. And so when you use barley to make beer, you know, back in the day, if you were a farmer, you, you, you had barley on your plot for lots of reasons, and then you could make beer from it. Maybe you could pay your people in beer. There are lots of reasons to, to have barley around. You, you'd pay your, your pigs in beer, et cetera. (laughs) And, um, in the spent probably, um, that's right. From the beer making process. I think pigs like getting drunk. What's that? I think pigs like getting drunk. Most animals, I think, would like getting drunk. (laughs) And you are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on 3RRR 102.7 in Melbourne. And this evening we are following up our great success last week talking illicit substances by talking about the last legal illicit substance, that being alcohol. Alcohol has been around for a long, long time in the human experience. It's been used for all sorts of things. And Adam, you've been doing some good research into its uh, use as a trading medium. I was doing that, yes. Um, So... It's not surprising that in hard times, especially if like the the currency is unreliable or you've got hyperinflation or the opposite where it's just not available very much, that you're going to turn to something physical of value. And in hard times, who doesn't want to get drunk, you know? Mm-hmm. So you, you can find lots of examples throughout history of alcohol being used as a currency. It happened fairly famously in the fall of the Soviet Union. And I found an article from the Baltimore Sun in 1991 uh, where it was saying, as the ruble collapses, Muscovites have hit upon a new form of hard currency, pints of vodka. Mm-hmm. People keep vodka in stock to use as a liquid currency, said Dmitry Schmidrick, a clerk in a scientific lab. I have more than 20 bottles at home and I don't drink at all. Uh, the reason? A repairman will yawn if you offer 40 rubles to get the car fixed or a ceiling plugged, but if you offer a bottle of vodka, the job gets done. Hmm. Now, apparently, it's already happening in Australia, and Facebook is a hotbed for it. Ooh. Go on. Uh, are you quoting my Facebook page? <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, there are over 400 private beer bartering groups on Facebook, and nice. the biggest in Australia, they claim to have 100,000 members. It's Perth-based. <laughs> Uh, it's called the original 
Perth beer economy. I had a look, and it's mostly people who don't produce it themselves, but they're just saying, I need my car fixed, um, uh, willing to trade, you know, two slabs of beam and coke or whatever. Mm. You know. That's um, interesting, isn't it? Because WA is a place where we're sort of seeing the first signs of um, a speculative bubble in the property market. Um, yeah, areas collapsing. Well, yeah. collapse. Yeah, areas of uh, WA where you know um, a twenty thousand dollar home became a two million dollar home with high rents and everything for the fly in, fly out mining. Uh, boom, and now that's sort of all falling in on itself. So it's a little surprise there that they're starting to trade in booze. I actually had a, a couple of folks come to my house on the weekend. I'd been in touch with them for a good six months or so on social media about doing some design work and and all sorts of things at their home, and they wanted to get their worm farm set up so they could start putting all their food waste through that. And and because uh, I'd been in touch with them, we had a familiarity, we had a, a trust and a faith that we built up, and they said, "Oh, well, how much is it going to cost us for a sort of you know, a big?" bag of worms and castings and all that sort of stuff and a bit of a rundown on how to do it and i said let's just get some beer in the equation so the beer economy is alive and well always has been it's got a bit of vibe to it and the wine economy must be um alive and well adam did you not go home recently to a case of wine on your doorstep i did yes Um, i'm not very good at invoicing people for my work sometimes (laughs) and and i ran into someone who who i hadn't invoiced on the street a couple weeks ago and um i have, I, and they were like, you've got to give me an invoice, and I didn't. And so I came home and there was some wonderful Chilean wine on my doorstep. Nice. Yeah. It's often, I'm happy I'm, with that. I, I, one of the first things that I noticed when I, when I showed up in Australia was that the slab seemed to be a unit of currency. And to me, this, it sounds like it's, it's the unit of currency that's used for tipping. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. because Australians don't tip. You know, yeah. and so the slab is that unit of currency that that we use to show appreciation. What yeah? do you mean? So you go into a cafe and rather than saying there's <laughs> two dollars, the I'm going to give you a slab. slab. No, but, 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 you know, for tipping for you know for manual work. It's a unit of currency. It's also a unit of punishment. So in this within this studio here, if uh, halfway through the show your phone goes off, that's a carton. Is that right? There oh you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, one other thing in lean times, Adam, you were talking earlier um, off air about the um, use of calorie storage in alcohol. So, when you can, can you survive off beer alone? Yeah, well, it's a tricky question. So, <laughs> yeah. the uh, the Paul and a monks of the Middle Ages, who were sort of across Germany and North, North Italy, um, being a strict order, they were not allowed to consume solid food during Lent, forty days and forty nights. So they subsisted off beer alone. Now, beer. It is full of amino acids, iron, calcium, vegetable proteins, and B vitamins. And hops has got some substances which fight cancer. Uh, On the other hand, it's low in most of the other vitamins, A, C, D, E, and K, as well as thiamine, protein, and fat. So if you tried to live off it, you'd get scurvy and um, heart issues from the last... Does that mean you have to have it with orange juice or something? Yeah, and then you're all right. Yeah, fine. But (laughs) in terms of... They're all over that at the prison in LA. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, But um, in terms of... In t- you know, if you think back to medieval periods and it's like, well, there were a lot of famines and as, as well as boom times. And yet if uh, medieval fiction is to be believed, people are drinking alcohol all the time. Yeah. They're drinking beer. So Scurvy it, was the least of your concerns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so why were they doing it? Like w- it, it seems to be actually potentially a viable form of storing all those minerals in a way that self-sterilizes. Mm. So you've got drinking water. If you make a, a lightish beer, you can drink 
throughout the day as you're working in the fields as a medieval peasant. Mm. Um, and the alcohol itself, you do metabolise. So sugar, when it's converted to alcohol, you end up with about half as much alcohol as you do sugar, but the energy density is more in the alcohol. So you only lose about 20% of the energy. How much of that you can metabolise and convert... I mean, it's the reason why beer bellies are a thing is the fact that mm. you do convert some of it into energy. Uh, and that's a good thing if you're, if you're in an energy-scarce world. But it's not as efficient as eating sugar. Your liver has to get into the action and your kidneys get in, in the action. It's not just your d- digestive tract. And they get overwhelmed pretty easily. Yeah. So if you binge drink, for instance, most of that energy is wasted, which is good for us. But um, in an energy-scarce world... You know, if, if calories are actually scarce, you want to drink in moderation. Mm. Yeah, not not hit the vodka too hard. Indeedy. Greening the Apocalypse is the show you've been listening to. Mark Moncrief to my left has been our guest this evening, expert on all things uh, beer, home brewing and booze. And uh, Adam, have we got something locked in for next week? We do. I think or, so. Go on. And I imagine that. Forward planning. Uh, we're going to be talking to Sean Chamberlain. He uh, put together... A couple of books based on the remaining manuscripts of his uh, deceased mentor, David Fleming, who's kind of eco-economist from mm. England. And they have the, the names Surviving the Future, Culture, Carnival and Capital in the Aftermath of the Market Economy and Lean Logic, a Dictionary for the Future and How to Survive It. He's great. So that should be a good show. Awesome. Katie, good to see you. And you. <laughs> Mark, thanks for coming down. Thanks for having me. See you again. in the tram. We'll see you next Tuesday. But until then, have all the fun. Woo! This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.